City Limits. Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Okay, City Limits, third Wednesday of the month, last of the year. Thank goodness, last Wednesday for us for the mm-hmm. year anyway. And uh, we're off to February, which is wonderful. Everyone's looking happy here this morning and <laughs> just a little unhappy. got an hour to go. Um, but uh, it is City Limits and um, we've got Meg Kimber over there pressing Morning. the buttons for us. We've got yeah. Eugenia Zubchenko over there, who we're going to go to in a second about something. And I'm Kevin Healy. It is Housing Day. And the, in the first part, well, in the second part of the program, we're going to discuss housing for the year and guess the big issue has been the privatisation process. Mm-hmm. But also at the weekend, the Labor Party put up some more great ideas for affordable housing, which involve handing even more money to the private sector, which is great. <laughs> uh, uh, a plan that has actually been wiped out by Tony Abbott, and they want to resurrect it effectively. Um, and uh, we'll come to that as well. But we'll discuss those issues in the second half. Howard Morosi from People for Public Housing is coming on the line. And Fiona York from Housing with the Aged Action Group coming into the studio, so we'll have a discussion with both of those. Mm. And Eugenia, though, before we get there, in about five or ten or twenty minutes or something, we're going to go to... <laughs> See uh, how we plan Well planned. Yeah. Yeah. Tightly oh, run machine. Yeah, the, <laughs> no, the, the run, running sheet's actually perfect here. Actually, it's actually, non-existent. I think the Bill, running sheet is a hanky. When I started the week that was 30-something years ago, it was on Saturday morning on Bill Hartley's Paravion program, and he had a running sheet and Bill was so disorganised that even before he got on air, his running sheet was already running away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, At least he had one, Kevin. At least he had one. <laughs> You're saying something, Eugenia? <laughs> well, say something about what we're going to do in a few minutes anyway. <laughs> yeah, so um, on the topic of public housing, um, I went out to West Brunswick a couple of weeks ago and chatted to a woman called Barbara Knowles, who's a community activist out there. And um, I recorded an interview for uh, with her for us to listen to today. So she's talking about biodiversity and development in West Brunswick and specifically as that applies to the Gron housing estate which is um, one of the many estates that are being set to be redeveloped in this um, public-private partnership. She's got some really insightful points about um, yeah how that redevelopment in in air quotes um, Mm -hmm. will operate in terms of public to private public to private housing ratios mm. So, mm. Yeah. and the uh, the impact of that on the natural world yeah right. as well as on people yeah oh that sounds wonderful okay we'll get to that you obviously well, heard it as well have you i had a little brief listen right. to it's in its raw state and i'm really looking forward to hearing it more yeah, it's in really in its dress lovely. state yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that's clothed well i now say something i'll I'd like to, um, since it's our last show for 2018, there's a couple of points that I'd love to um, update people about, like a couple of issues that we've talked about during the year. Yep. One of them is Pepper Tree Place. Have you heard about this as well? Well, it got reopened. Mm. Um, yeah. it's, it's, oh, there's water in there. I won't give it to you. <laughs> yeah, water fine. <laughs> um, yeah. Have you been there, Kevin, or heard what? I haven't happened? been there since, but I believe it's it's 
Oh, well, someone mentioned it the other day to me and we were talking about it. I can't think of what she said, but you fill me in because yeah. they, it was, after we had that interview, it was saved. Yeah. Not yes. necessarily because of our interview, but it was saved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we had Claire in here talking about Pepper Tree Place and, and the plan was to... But it probably what it is. Pepper Tree Place is a place Yeah, it's a Coburg, community yeah. garden in Coburg that has a lot of... Um, Community engagement and a cafe and, you know, places for people to grow food and, and ways for people to meet each other in the community. And it was under risk of closure from Uniting Care um, as sort of austerity measures, yes, I suppose. the Uniting Church owns the property. Yeah, the and the church itself was happy to lease it to yeah. the group, but there was all this complication. So um, my understanding is that as of now it's, it's, it's open and it will keep going and they have a bit of a fundraiser happening. So if you look on Facebook for Pepper Tree Place, you can get the information about um, their fundraiser. The idea is to raise enough money so that it can be run under the auspices of a community group and people can join up and become members, so people who use it can actually um, engage with it as members. And what they really need is money to cover rent and money to cover um, the public liability insurance. So, mm. yeah. Right. And, and Oh, so the other one was the ICAC, the Federal Anti-Corruption yes. Body. Yes. Great um, acronym, by the way. I was going to write... I was, <laughs> Yes, well, <laughs> it certainly is. I was going to raise that with you uh, yeah. because you, you have shown an interest in it one year. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hannah Orby from the Australia Institute has been working really hard behind the scenes and we had her on during the mm, year. Twice. Yeah, and um, so she's been, you know, lobbying hard in government, um, getting uh, judges and retired judges to put their names behind the move for a federal anti-corruption body based on the New South Wales one because every state has an anti-corruption body of varying powers and and authority and there's not one federally. So mm. coming off the back of this recent scandal of the um, Member of Parliament using a... Yes. Uh, Parliamentary yeah, allowance to yeah, take a flight to, be, to Hong Kong. To be not as narrow oh, was he using a parliamentary yeah, allowance? Yeah, that's for that. part of the scandal is that his domestic flight was covered. Wow. Yeah. A man who stands for family values, but now Indeed. it turns out he's, he's very much more yeah. broad minded. Seems to be a so pattern with his family values, <laughs> politicians. Yes. Um, anyway. When they say family values, don't trust them, I guess. <laughs> that's the kind of thing that a federal anti-corruption body could investigate where mm. parliamentary allowances go to mm. and whether it's appropriate use of funding. Amongst many other things, well, quite like how possibly because uh, as we speak, I think the uh, the federal the federal bill or the proposal the federal proposal is lying in the dentist chair having its teeth taken out. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's right. But, um, yeah. but and indeed, Claire um, Claremont, what's her name? The first, can't think of her first name, but she's the investigative journalist in Sydney with the Sydney Morning Herald. Yeah, he's unearthed yep. a lot of his stuff. This morning on Radio National, she was saying that the raid that happened in Sydney yesterday couldn't happen under Morrison's proposal. No. So um, that's the so. thing. Like, well, but the good news is that it has bipartisan support. So the Labor mm. uh, Labor have already said that they'll push it if they get in. Liberals are now saying that they will, even though, however, how strong it is is debatable mm. under their model. Um, and also the crossbench have have already you know started trying to table things and the greens have and stuff so you know as usual in po- in politics everyone's taking uh, credit for it as if they had <laughs> thought of it all along and it was like their idea yeah, to begin with it's off to a good start because they've just appointed also a QC who uh, 
who doesn't believe in um, having a federal body uh, to investigate or to look at what they should do about it. So <laughs> that should go down pretty well. Yeah, uh, But anyway. She, we'll see what happens after the next yeah, federal election yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah. okay. Well, let's have a look at the, our favourite, the Herald Sun, though, this week. And they've, the government's only been in for a week or two. It only got sworn in this week, I think, actually in full. But anyway, uh, they've got a headline, State Puts Schools in Jeopardy. Victoria won't agree to federal deal. That's the headline. State puts schools in jeopardy. Now, one might argue that, in fact, the federal government's putting schools in jeopardy because of the the um, the plan it's putting forward, which gives so much more money to private schools and so mm. much less to pu- public schools. And that's yep. what the, our state government's standing up on, saying we mm. want a deal that gives our state schools at least a fair go uh, with the private school system. But no, state puts it's the state putting schools in jeopardy by not signing up. Certain kind, um, very specific kind of schools. <laughs> that's right. And, and indeed, it, there's a quote from all these private school, independent schools, Victoria Chief, etc., etc., um, and the Catholic schools body all saying, this is terrible, we could run out of money because of what the state's doing. It's awful, awful, awful. So oh, there you are. No. Poor things. But just to, um, just to bolster that and show the money's going in the right direction, though, yesterday's Herald Sun looking at the... Um, and they had a 32-page souvenir lift out of the VCE results, which everyone's fascinated by. I suppose if you if you ran for it, you would souvenir. be. Souvenir, hmm. but uh, yeah, <laughs> but private students excel. Government schools lagging. Etc. Um, I well, wonder why. <laughs> yeah, it does, does, does leave you to think, doesn't it? You think, how could this possibly be? Was that in the Herald Sun? <laughs> that was the Herald Sun, mm, of course. Of it course. Was. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And the other one this week, they had this photo of these coppers. Now, I'll show you. Other people can't see it, but these three. Their police people are going to be marauding the streets of Melbourne over summer to keep us safe. Would you feel safe if you saw them coming oh towards you? <laughs> they have like yeah. semi-automatic weapons or yeah, something. Yeah, paramilitary. All Dressed covered, head to toe in black and covered cool, in weapons, dark glasses. Yeah, covered in weapons of all sorts. Their quick response is critical to our safety, says the do you, headline. And do you notice they're standing in front of a... Um, is that a public housing development? Uh, it's a, no, I think it's a city high rise, okay. actually. I think it's, oh. it looks like it's in one of the gardens there somewhere. Um, and then Frontline Summer Boost was the editorial that day saying how wonderful we need it. Frontline police and specialist units will step up operations, etc. And it concludes higher presence is a welcome deterrent and response capability for a busy hot period in the CBD at nightlife precincts and transport hubs in Kilda and Warshaw areas. So it's wonderful to have these these people. And the other one, I just thought I'd mention this in passing. It's one of the probably bad jokes of the week time again. Um, a bloke in St. Petersburg got fined $208. I don't know whether it's our dollars or what sort of or rubles or whatever. But anyway, $208 for violating the rules of public meetings. And he went to the local legislative assembly and release these rats into the house. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought to myself, it was like our parliaments. How would you tell one from the other? Oh. Are you jealous that you that someone did it before you, Kevin? No, I did it last Saturday. Oh. <laughs> I've repeated it twice now. <laughs> you don't learn a good, no, you no, a, a good bad joke. Rats in the oh, I see. Do that. Oh, no, I haven't thought it. No, you're uh, right. Yeah. You're right. We, the best, oh, we did. Uh, can I say it on air now? It's so many years later. Mm. We did we did force the abandonment of the Australian-American July 4 dinner at the Southern Cross years ago with stink bombs. Because <gasps> we, we actually went in dressed... Yeah, they I used think those to... paramilitaries are coming in the door. <laughs> Uh-oh, they heard. They, 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 used, they were used to seeing us in our old protesting clothes every July 4. And they, they'd be, we'd march from the American consulate, which was down, down in St Kilda, down in St Kilda Road. 
corner of Chapel Corner of Commercial Road. And we'd march to the Southern Cross and then there'd be a row of police between us and them. A few windows would get broken and that was it. We'd all go home. Or you'd mm. go and bail people out and go home. Um, <laughs> and this year we all went in dressed up and I was, you know, we were all in suits and things and they didn't recognise us till, the, till we got to the uh, mm. door of the thing where we had a, couldn't get in because we didn't have the right pass. But um, uh-huh. So we just dropped the stink bombs. But anyway. that was the first of my band for life from that pub. Wait, uh, what pub was it again? Southern Cross is no oh, longer there. It, oh, it was okay. the big pub at that time. It's where the Beatles stayed, etc. <gasps> wow. um, that was your first yeah. band for life. Yeah, well, they're all for political reasons. And they used to change the manager every day so you could go back the next morning and no one would know. It didn't matter. <laughs> 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 so it didn't. It was, it was Listen sort of, up, young was, activists yeah. of Melbourne. It was, it, was a very, it was a very token band for life, let me tell you. <laughs> but um, on, on, a, on a less amusing note, if you want to call it that, um, the conference in Poland last week ended up really stagnating and we've ended up with a situation where they say we could end now head toward four degrees rather than one and a half due to the decisions out of that Poland conference, which was following up the um, the French one, of course, the Paris Agreement. Mm. And, you know, the shocking thing like the United States, which is pulling out, but it was there and it was doing everything to undermine it. And indeed, I heard on a program on the weekend somewhere where some commentator from one of the better groups, made the point that the United States was joined by Australia and everything it did to frustrate any real progress at the conference. So, and the Australian minister, of course, Melissa Price, doesn't believe in climate change. So it's looking mm, encouraging, isn't it? Isn't it? It's really great. But then the, the ALP at its conference has promised a national environment agency and like our EPA, Environment Protection Authority, and um, mm. business is um, coming out saying we don't really need this and they're worried about it. But I would have thought that if it's anything like the EPA and ours and other states, they'd welcome it. Because it doesn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. well, what they, all they do is, no. is, is rub, yeah. rubber stamp pr- pollution. Yeah? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, create extra paperwork. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, that's that. And, of course, the ALP conference, we saw them water down everything and um, well, the, there's a the, bit of a congratulations fest, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, the, the union, <laughs> like, some of the the union stuff, everything that was more radical is either going to be looked at, we'll do a report on it, we'll study it, uh, but really nothing progressive at all came out of the whole thing. And of course, on on um, on refugee policy, it was just a disgrace. And you mm. get people like people like the former ACTU president, uh, what's her name, uh, whatever her name is, um, going into Parliament saying she's going to fight for this and she oh, at the conference she said this is a Jed, bit of an advantage. Jed Carney. Jed Carney, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, what yeah. use are they in there because um, the government's going to do absolutely nothing about it. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. I mean, Labor are sort of selling themselves as a steady alternative to the infighting of the Liberal federal Liberals mm. or coalition and... Um, but then I guess a downside of that is the inefficiency of the caucus because there must be more than – there must. I just would hope that there's a majority of people in the Labor Party who actually think that locking up people, seeking asylum is not, not right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. what's happening there? It's gutless. It goes back yeah. to Kim Beasley, Tampa and all that and Children Overboard where he conceded everything to Howard and yeah. Peter Reith at the time and Labor governments ever since of – they they perceive, and I think it's wrong, because I think the community is miles ahead of government on, yeah, on both yeah. environment and, and exactly. refugee. Exactly. Climate change yeah, and refugee. Yeah. Yeah. But they they seem to think if they come out and say, yes, we will bring people here, that they're going to lose it. You know, it's just ridiculous. So yeah. show a bit of guts, for Christ's sake. You can support mm. refugees without supporting people smuggling. Yeah. yeah. Spinal mm. transplant wouldn't go apart, go astray. Yeah. No. 
this is a quite a sad story because this was only last Friday in the um, in the Herald Sun on on one of their social pages actually. But it, AFL player Marjack Daw has made a plea for troubled teens to resist peer pressure to do the wrong thing, and he was he's done this documentary series which helps young kids, particularly in the Sudanese community where he belongs. And he, you know, I just want to do the right thing by them, and if I can inspire, I feel like I owe it to them. He said, etc. Um, and then what happened yesterday in result of that, yeah. um, where he in fact um, came off the the bridge, and uh, you know, a, a wonderful young player, but obviously going through terrible times in his head somewhere, and uh, just that that happened in the same week as he was giving inspirational talks to young Sudanese. Mm, yeah, that's obviously some sort of um, problems with AFL culture and. Yeah. A lack of support for players who are going through difficult things. Yeah, yeah. And he's he's a wonder. I mean, last year he's been struggling to, to absolutely get a permanent spot, but last year he really reached reached it, and now he's a very permanent part. He was until yesterday a very permanent part of the North Melbourne team. And in fact, the other um, Sudanese player in the league, Alia Alia, at, at Sydney. Um, so I know you don't, neither of you follow footy too much, but um, last year the, when they played each other, they played on each other, and it was one of the highlights of the year. They both played mm-hmm. magnificent games, and it was mm. yeah, really a highlight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the effects on Sudanese and other uh, communities from countries in Africa of the vilification in the media can't be underestimated. So, uh-huh. you know, it affects everybody, you know, yep. yeah, in those communities. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, you hear them say it. Kids mm. go out and they always feel they're going to be, you know, hit yep. with that uh, because they've yep. all been. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the way the press presents it, of course, it's given out that the whole community somehow is, is involved, which is mm. absolutely ridiculous. It's a very mm. small percentage indeed, we all know. Mm. Um, this is an interesting one, um, and we'll go to the interview after this, but. Um, the, in terms of the privatisation processes, and uh, there was a story in the Saturday paper last week, you know, they've got a series now looking at why energy prices are so high, and the, the story mm. basically blamed the privatisation process. <laughs> um, and uh, the the $9.3 billion sale of West Connex to Transurban, West Connex is a Sydney another freeway like we're building here everywhere. It's, it's a go-everywhere freeway. And Transurban has just um, bought it off. The government's paid for the bloody thing and now Transurban's taking it over. You know, the old story. The $9.3 billion sale to Transurban will make it more difficult for the government to hold to account the people responsible for delivering the motorway, the parliamentary inquiry. It's the Public Accountability Committee of the Legislative Council in New South Wales. And they point out that the government set up a Sydney Motorway Corporation to build it and fund it so that it didn't appear on the, on the public books. So there was no way of judging whether you were getting value for money. Um, it weakened the accountability and disclosure rules that would have applied had West Connex been delivered by a government agency. Infrastructure projects being delivered on behalf of the public and funded through public monies collected from taxes and user charges with the New South Wales government retaining major ongoing equity interests should be subject to robust levels of transparency and scrutiny. And the sale of a 51% stake to a private consortium led by Transurban would reduce the ability of the New South Wales Parliament to scrutinise and hold to account people in charge of delivering the project and would exacerbate existing transparency and accountability concerns, the committee said. 
The government was also criticised for not putting Westconnex through a comprehensive independent assurance process during the development of the first business case and for not considering the full range of costs including cost to public health, biodiversity and loss of public transport. Had such an assessment been completed, many of the concerns raised about the Westconnex project as the right solution to address Sydney's long-term transport needs may have been avoided or at least ameliorated and goes on. But um, mm. again, the Greens, in fact, they then they've said, oh, it should go ahead now because we've spent so much on it and it would cost too much to get out. But the Greens, uh, their committee member, Kate Fairman, disagreed with the committee's recommendation that the final stage of West Connex be completed, saying it should be halted so, it costs and Im- so its costs and impacts could be investigated. She said West Connex should not have been sold and that the separation of the Sydney Gateway motorway to Sydney Airport, which will cost up to $2.6 billion from the West Connex project, was an attempt by the government to hide cost increases. So it's... Pretty, you know, it's a good mm, example of mm. how privatisation, in fact, works against the interests mm. of the people. I think. Mm-hmm. Another and another road when it could have well have been public transport. Mm. Or whatever, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and another yeah. example of perhaps corruption being involved and exactly. the reason to need more accountability. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's it. Let's go to our uh, <laughs> let's go to our interview and just just announce it again. Uh, yep. So so about to hear from Barbara Knowles, who's an activist in West Brunswick. Yeah that's um, interested in the connection between biodiversity and housing development and is arguing that um, more yeah, more care should be taken to protect the environment and the biodiversity of our suburbs. Uh, and she'll talk to us about the Gron Estate, which is one of the housing estate that estates that the state government is renovating this, under a private-public model. Yeah. And mm. you, felt you recorded this outdoors, didn't you? Yeah, so Barbara wanted to take me for a walk around the neighbourhood, so you'll, yeah. hear, you'll hear all about that. just a suburban street I live in and you can hear the bird activity and this is down to the gardening skills and dedication of all the homeowners in this street because they've created an environment that these birds can find the insects, the snails, even blackbirds thrive here and they're introduced species they tell me people don't like them. Uh, well, I'm concerned about the environment in the suburbs of West Brunswick um, due to overdevelopment. I'm Barbara and I live in um, Brunswick West and I've only been here about three years and a lot of that, at least a year if not more, maybe two years of that time, I was seriously ill. So I wasn't cognizant of any development or anything that was going on. So I'm having got better and discovered a beautiful, thriving area around, populated with a lot of mature-age people who still practice gardening and home food-making because they're the original migrants from Italy and Greece, Mm. Yugoslavia, other places Mm. who came here. And, for instance, one lady whose house backs onto the three houses that have been demolished and now being built with units at the end of my street... She's nearly in tears on the bus because she said for 30 years the same birds have been coming into my garden and now they're unknown. Overdevelopment, yeah. In inexpensive high-rises on small blocks, concretizing the entire floor surface. It's the biodiversity, the bugs you don't see and the birds that live off them 
and where I want to take you is for a walk where that kind of wildlife can no longer exist because there's three blocks in a row of huge cement developments. Okay, we're now crossing Albion Road to the um, already erected new development of extremely small apartments um, and of great number. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven storeys and about one, two, three, four, and then another, about six blocks of seven storeys. See this? The cladding's falling off. We're looking at the new development, the outside wall, the exterior wall, and the cladding's falling off already, listener. Now, oh right, this is Grand Place. This is the housing estate that's earmarked for demolition. It's a bit of a sinkhole estate in the sense that it's not been renovated as it could have been or plans for its reconstruction could have been done piecemeal over the years but nothing's ever been done. But it's ended up with a congregation of tenants who were, many of whom were here for 30 years. So it was... Uh, at least a functioning community, albeit with some problematic tenants who caused really bad problems. But as you see it now, with the size of all these trees, the trees support birds, five species that I can see, bats and possums. I put forward that this is an environmental corridor from my house where we've come all the way through the park and then through this housing estate and then it would have been over to the creek to propagate wildlife because as you'll see when we get out the other side of the estate the cement is wall to wall Um, the plan is that a private developer will be commissioned who will put up some new flats for the office of housing and but who will also be given half the land to put up private flats of his own to be sold on the open market, which means the estate we just walked through, which is one whole thing, will be cut in two, and the current Office of Housing tenants who have small families who might get to return will now have to share what was theirs and ours, a community asset, with the private owners and the government seems to be taking the line that these normal working people who could buy apartments in this Gron estate will uplift the aspirations of the Office of Housing people who will be happy to share what was once all theirs with a new community who are apparently better off and better equipped to be better off than they are. The world is paved with good intentions and I can suspend my disbelief but it's actually quite insulting. Hello. Hi. How are you going? Good, thank you. I'm just um, ch- chatting to Barbara here about the plans for the future estate. Yeah, I'm even... saying how important the birds and the trees are here. Yes, and I live in number 14. I have six children and I need... Uh... Seven. <laughs> Seven. <laughs> 
And, and I how long have you lived here? Uh, ten years. Ten years. Yeah, I am five bedroom, five bedroom, no come back. Right, so, so there's not, not enough bedrooms bedroom. for you? Yes, yes. For bedroom housing, there is still this area, no for bedroom. Yeah. Uh, looking around. And I need transport. I'm single mother. Because uh, my children, you don't like to change school. The friends already kicked out. Everybody go corner to corner. Oh, really? Yeah, night time, so it's very dark. But before it was starting to get empty, was it quite happy for you here? Did you like it here? Yes, I like it. Have the 10 years been good for yes, you? Yes, I've come back, I like it. 10 years, my transport, the bus here, tram here, yeah. my children is here. Good morning. Do you live here? Yeah, we, we live across the road, but we come here every day. Oh, wonderful. And um, do you know about the plans for this to be changed in the future? Yeah, yeah. And it breaks my heart because this is this is so so nice for kids to just play. There, there's so many kids. She's friends with all of them, and they just you know they come out when the weather's nice and they just run around and play. And it's it's going to be gone in a couple of weeks. Well, I think it's nice because there's so many cultures, different cultures, uh, living in a in a small place together and. Um, like everyone can meet in the middle like the way it's the way it's made with the playground in the center it's just beautiful and all the kids the kids can just the kids can just run out you know where we live we don't we don't have anything like this like if i open the front door there's a road you know she's going to run onto the road so i don't open the front door yeah. if if you are here you open the front door and the kids can just run and have a playground straight there yeah yeah. We, we we just come here and they just welcomed us, you know. In the, in the it's kind of like a community, you know. We've been back like every every free second that we have, we're, we're coming back because it's, it's so nice. I've spoken to a lot of people who live here and they, people my age, and uh, like around thirty years old, and they like they grew up here, you know. They lived, they were born here, they still live here, and now everybody's moving. Because they're all friends, you know. They all know each other. Obviously, they they grew up here, you know. This is the this is where they where they spend their entire childhood and adulthood, you know. And then they now everyone's moving far away and like to different areas of uh, Melbourne, you know. It's yeah. it's sad. Yeah. yeah it's really sad. See what what people don't understand. A tree is not a, a um, two dimensional thing. It's three dimensional. So the breadth of the the widest part of the tree creates an atmosphere and when you add look even just where we're standing one two three four five six seven eight trees all at least how tall would you say they are i only do feet they look like yeah they're all way above the roof of the three-story in just the main entrance courtyard and car park of the grand estate and it is a haven the point is you can't replace that even if the contractors agree to, to build green space, in this instance, the trees are so significant and sequestering so much carbon that the quality of our air all around here will be depleted when they go. And developers will say, oh, we'll protect the trees and we'll replace them when necessary. The experience of people who've already consulted with council and developers on the already erected IGA estate 
say the developer promised trees and green spaces and when it came to building it he didn't honour his promise and there was no compliance from the council. So when I asked them to get involved in helping me on this they said no. We've done it all before and the developer said one thing and did another. You can see how people get pissed off because the man, one particular man said I spent six months going to committees to ensure that that development would have some green space and when they built it they ignored us. I don't know what to say to that. This isn't just like one isolated development or one developer who was a bit rogue. This is going on systematically. The community isn't satisfied with the way this system operates because they can't get a voice and they can't get any justice. And that becomes a political issue. The, the overwhelming thing that I find difficult to take on board is they want to do this to nine housing estates. They're regenerating public housing by giving away half the land on which it stands. Hello? Um, you know, do you go into the bank and say, oh, look, I'll, I'll give you half my house if you come and renovate the lounge room? Yeah, I think you might be losing out somehow. As we close, can you hear? This is just a suburban street I live in, and you can hear the bird activity. And it's not like, oh gee, we've got lots of varieties of birds, isn't that cute? It's like that indicates a healthy, biodynamic, diverse ecosystem, and that is the ultimate necessity for human beings to be healthy. My name is Ruby Susan-Mouth. My pronouns are they... You're listening and... to 3CR Radical Radio and that was Binday with Stella, Rosie and Claudia on... Hello, I'm Liz Wright. Welcome to Are You Looking At Me and International Day for People with Disability. Today on the show, we meet Trish Maloney and Frank Corbenti, who are some of the elders... Did you miss our 12-hour special broadcast for International Day of People with a Disability? Radical Disabled programmers discuss the NDIS, Aboriginal rights, creativity, youth access, financial security, parenting, LGBTIQ, intersections and so much more. Head to 3cr.org.au forward slash disability day 2018 and listen back anytime. Right, yeah, Eugenia, well done. Uh, thanks mm, for that interview. And I like the bit where the person you're interviewing was interviewing someone else. <laughs> but, uh, which was great. Um, but well, I'm sure our guests will discuss that because we've got on the line Howard Morosi from housing from uh, People for Public Housing. I think he's in other groups as well these days. They have all these little groups. And um, Fiona York's here from Housing for the Age Action Group. Fiona, welcome back. Good morning. Yeah. And both discussed that. I thought we would discuss just the major housing issues of the year. Well, I guess the privatisation one. 
one. Perhaps a comment on that and the privatisation thing, Fiona? Um, yeah, I, that was a really nice little doco. It was great. Um, it's pretty disappointing, hey? It hasn't been great for public housing this year. There hasn't been any positive announcements coming out of either federal or state. Um, I guess we did take a little bit of heart earlier in the year when the Labor government announced a thousand new um, public housing properties in Geelong and Bendigo and a thousand obviously is a drop in the ocean but it was great to see that it was actually public housing and not social or community or some sort of rental subsidy mm. scheme and all of the other stuff that's been happening so that was a little glimmer of hope this year that we took a little bit of heart from mm. yeah Howard comment uh, look when I sat down to uh, write my thoughts, I come up with about three pages. So, uh, <laughs> well, we, Don't forget we finish at 10, by the way. Yeah, I've got that in mind. Um, they're in no particular order either, so it might be a bit jumbled. Um, firstly, we've got a new Victorian housing minister. Richard Wynne's replaced Martin Foley. Not sure what difference that's going to make, but we're going to try and meet with him and see if there's any change of policy. I'd, I'd kick off with none. Yeah. <laughs> Likely to be right, but you never know. Uh, the ALP National Conference announcement, yep. as you mentioned earlier, Shorten's effectively announced a return to the National Rental Affordability Scheme where there's large subsidies for investors, no public housing announced. Um, uh, what he did was, like just ignoring public housing for a moment, uh, they've announced that they're going to confine negative gearing to new buildings, which is mm-hmm. an improvement. Uh, I'd just get rid of it altogether. Uh, they've also announced that the capital gains uh, tax discount has been reduced from 50% to 25%, uh, which, just to explain, that means that uh, capital gains tax was cut by the Howard government from 40% to 20%. That's what the, the 20, 50% discount means. So if he's, uh, re- if he's reducing that discount to 25%, presumably capital gains tax will be 30% now, which is also an improvement because it means there's government's going to get some, some more money from uh, investors who are holding on to housing for an investment. And, and sorry, Howard, what does capital gains tax apply to for ignorant people like me? Yeah, capital gains tax applies to any uh, gains on any capital asset. So it could be housing or it could be shares uh, or it could be a, a company that you own. So if the value of that um, asset goes up, beyond CPI, <clears throat> you have to pay a certain uh, rate of tax yeah. on that gain beyond CPI. Cool. So if you're an investor who's bought a house as an investment and you sell it, as you know, the gains have been massive. Mm. Uh, the Howard government cut the rate of tax from uh, 40% to 20%, which mm. meant that the investor kept a lot more and it also gave a lot more incentive to investors to put money in, which was then displacing would-be homeowners from the housing market. So that's a, that's an improvement, uh, which which Shorten has actually flagged. Um, <clears throat> I'll keep going. Uh, our campaign uh, started off 11, uh, seven years ago with Friends of Public Housing Victoria, uh, set up by Eileen Artman, uh, and then joined by Fiona Ross, a public housing tenant. Uh, it then grew to um, Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia, a couple of years ago with Joe Toscano and uh, just over a year ago uh, it increased further with Public Housing Defence Network and Hands Off Public Housing being created uh, and just in the last year we've had some local groups being created, uh, the Save Ascot Vale Estate uh, group and also the uh, Darabin Community Friends of Public Housing group both of which have been very active 
in um, representing tenants there. Um, so the campaign is actually growing. Uh, I'd say we've now succeeded in mobilising most of the left in Victoria via 3CR, via the Homeless Persons Union, via the Australian Greens, the Victorian Socialists, uh, all being directly involved in, in uh, one or other of those campaigns. So we're actually, we're actually on the move. We're actually growing. Uh, unfortunately, the government policy hasn't yet right. really... Um, and can I interrupt here? Uh, the, it seems to me that the, the extent of the government win makes it even harder now to mm. put pressure on them over this sort of issue, particularly this privatisation process. To, yeah, yeah, we're hoping... An we're hoping... Um, certainly weren't hoping the Liberals would poll better, but mm. uh, we Because, like, as you know, the Liberals actually voted with Labor last year... Um, in terms of, we were hoping that the Liberals would join the Greens in blocking the uh, public housing renewal program, but they didn't. So it's likely that they, had there been um, a hung parliament, uh, the Libs just would have voted with Labor anyway. Um, but definitely, uh, it sends a signal to the Labor Party potentially that they can just ignore um, the threat from the Greens. However, the Greens did poll a lot better in Brunswick and won that seat, and they also held on to Paran. Um, and retain Melbourne. Uh, so that, that actually does send a message to the uh, state government that the Greens have consolidated <clears throat> partly through their opposition to privatisation, including their support for public housing, because the Greens did come out with a very good policy this year of building enough public housing over the next six years to clear the public housing waiting list. And they also came up with a policy of keeping rents to uh, renting private rent increases to CPI. Um, so that, that also puts pressure on <clears throat> on the state government. And we've seen the state government move on other issues as well uh, in response to the Greens' alternative. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think I would agree with all of that too. And it's a real shame to see Lydia Thorpe lose her seat in Northcote. She was a really staunch public housing advocate in her local electorate. And hopefully, even mm. though she's not in Parliament anymore, she'll still be able to mobilise people, particularly around the Walker Street estate. So, yeah. mm. And she lost because of the extent of the way the Liberals went down. I mean, the Liberals mm. went down by so much that she actually increased her vote. But and the, the Liberal, the more of the Liberal vote went to the Labor Party, mm. and yeah. so they went over, went above her as such. But, well, that actually, yeah. that, to me, that says more about the, the electorate. And there's also what the, the factor with um, what happened with Alex Patel, unfortunately, I think would have played a part as well because the margin wasn't that big. Mm. Yeah. So, okay, anyone else can comment about where we're at and all this? Cause, uh, yeah, I, we, I mean, yeah. I, I think it, with Labor in so strongly in Victoria, there doesn't seem to be any room for any kind of nuanced debate. It seems like you can talk about anything, you sort of have any constructive criticism around their policies, you get accused of supporting Morrison or something equally as extreme. And I think we need to be able to engage with the ALP and say, come on, guys, this is not a cost-effective solution. We know that investing in public housing is the best way to solve the housing crisis. So stop betting about the bush with all of these schemes and just, just do it, invest. Mm. And the, the studies are there, the, the econo- economics are there, so just do it. I'm actually a bit more optimistic than Fiona because I don't think it's just up to the Labor Party anymore, this growing community opposition beyond um, our groups. Uh, if you look at the response on social media to the uh, shortened announcement about housing, there's a lot of scepticism. There's mm. a lot of people just saying, no, you're just talking about subsidising investors. You're not talking about increasing the supply uh, to lower income people. Um, 
and uh, academics are now starting to come on board. For years, academics used to be just pushing uh, the housing association model, um, and we're now seeing uh, Kate Shaw, she's turned around, uh, Libby Porter has come on board, um, and I think uh, there's really a lot of uh, encouraging signs there for the future. It just might take more than one electoral cycle, I think. I read where the and it's being the original plan which um, Shorten now wants to replace is being phased out over the next few years because originally it was set up for X number of years. So the and the developers, in fact, are complaining they're going to lose their subsidies mm. and this is going to hurt the renters, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They they always care for the renters, of course. Yeah, well, it's the um, own trickle down yeah, argument. But, uh, you know, but it's like the developers keep saying, "Oh, you've got to subsidise us because otherwise we won't yeah. be able to help the the uh, renters." Right. It's but the same fact, with, you know. What's the agenda? It's not to help the renters. Same it's with negative gearing, but the point I was going to make was that uh, that I read where in the last year the subsidy has increased by $1.6 billion. That's just the, the increase in a year. The federal subsidy to that scheme is $1.6 billion increase in one year. So imagine what, I don't know what the total cost is, but imagine <laughs> what that would do for public housing if it went into straight into public housing. Yeah. 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 You could build tens of thousands of public housing units and, of course, uh, what happens with that scheme is that all they've got to do is supposedly guarantee that the rent is 20% below market. With public housing, you guarantee the rent is actually tied to the tenant's income, um, and it's only 25% of the tenant's income. You know, 20% of uh, market rent, market rent keeps increasing all the time, and mm. it's way mm. above what people can afford anyway. Mm. And indeed, it points out that 45% of the tenancies are managed by community housing groups. Mm. Um, now, if if it's 20% below market and they're not supposed to charge more than 30, I would have thought there'd be an arithmetic difference in there somewhere because surely 30% of the market value is not 20%, 20% below the average or whatever it is, below the normal rate, the market Yeah, but rate. the thing is they cherry-pick people on higher incomes. So that if you've got a higher income... That the 25, or in their case, it's 30% they're supposed to charge, yeah. 30% of tenants' income. If you're on a higher income, that pushes the rent closer to market. Um, and uh, but as you say, you know, like we're not endorsing even if even if 100% of the uh, NRAS went to um, the housing associations, we still wouldn't be endorsing it because they're not they're not the priority. The priority is clearing the waiting list off public housing before you do anything else. The other thing to say about the NRAS scheme is they're only 10 years. So the first round of NRAS is coming up to um, expire soon. What's going to happen to those tenants? Will the market um, rent go up to 100% again? Yeah. And and also with this new scheme, it's only 15 years. So if they mentioned women over 55 as being a priority area in shortened speech, but if a woman who's 55 now gets into an NRAS, um, then when she's 70 she'll be getting evicted mm. or she'll have her market rent um, increase so that's insane what happens to a seven-year-old woman mm. in in these schemes if they can even get in in the first place which most people can't afford anyway yeah that's right so they're only going to be picking people on the higher incomes anyway if you're on a higher income when you're 55 and your income goes down there's nothing to stop you being evicted unlike public housing yeah. the other thing to notice is that the amount of subsidy is actually quite incredible uh if you're giving an investor eight it's eight and a half thousand dollars a year for fifteen years. Um, <clears throat> that's uh, close to a hundred thousand dollars per apartment. Just going to the investor, and it's quite likely that there's actually going to be no or little increase in building. You're just talking about subsidising investors for what they would build anyway. Mm. 
because they're going the whole thing is they've got to make their returns from either the capital gains or the rent which is paid by the tenant you know it's if that's if that's there if the if the rental demand is there anyway they're going to build it anyway mm-hmm. and so earlier we heard from Barbara on talking about the Gron estate and um, in terms of the renewal project where are people at because uh, we were talking in the break that um, these estates are you know people are being moved on from them and so what's the current situation well for example in um I'm not sure what the situation is with Gron. I think there's probably still at least half the tenants left there. Um, at Clifton Hill, there's only about 30% of the original tenants left, but they're still hanging on. Mm. So it, we've heard uh, from various people the government's actually starting to ramp up their efforts now and uh, using some tactics which we would like to come back to you with in the new year when we get a bit more solid evidence because they don't sound very uh, pleasant. Mm. Yeah. So how many people do you think are left across all of the nine estates, Howard? Are the people sticking around or are they going? People are generally sticking around. Okay. Mm. So, but it might, I mean, like, if you've got 30%, that's still a lot of people. And has any of the demolition started to take place yet? Uh, in Heidelberg West, they have. Okay. Uh, I don't think they have in any of their other estates yet. Mm. And, and those who go, where do they go while construction is... Okay. Well, one thing we did manage to do uh, was, because of our pressure, uh, the government actually changed the uh, the uh, documents which the tenants had to sign, which gave them better protection during the relocation process. So they're now guaranteed to, um, if they want to relocate, um, they're guaranteed that their rent is actually going to be kept to what it would be in public housing anyway during the period of um, relocation. Mm. Um so that's been a good thing, and they've yeah. actually put it in the form of a deed. Um, so, yeah, so that they are actually being looked after to some degree. But on the other hand, there are definite problems with it. Um, some of the tenants have been pressured out, um, and also some of them have been pushed out a long way from, from where they are now. So, for example, um, yeah. if your kid's at school, they'll have to relocate to school or travel a long way, which is very unfair. Yeah, yeah. which and we just heard about in that interview. And it also yep. has impacted on groups like the Housing with Action Group, hasn't it? Because mm. you're finding it much harder now to find emergency accommodation housing. for people. Yeah, well, not so much emergency, but just trying to find people housing because um, we usually try to house people in public housing or long-term affordable housing. So with all of the transfers, um, they've those people are... Are you taking any available public housing stock outside of those nine estates? So we have found it harder to house people in public housing this year. Um, we've had to look at different types of housing, like independent living units or um, you know retirement housing owned by not-for-profits rather than public housing. So, um, yeah, it's had an impact on our clients. Mm. And for older people that are living on those estates, that kind of dislocation mm. at this yeah. stage of their lives where they're well-connected to the services and GPs and people that they know and the feeling of safety, um, like your interview said, people have grown up there, they've lived there their whole lives, their families are there. So it's really not great for an older person to have to be moved to an unknown suburb far away from the people that they know. Mm-hmm. Far from yeah. public transport, potentially. Yeah. 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 Can I run an amazing comment past you um, on that? Because in that interview and at meetings, people have talked, particularly refugee communities, have talked about how they see it as a community and they have large mm-hmm. families and it's part of their community. I was having lunch last Sunday week with a group of people, including an academic who works in housing, 
and she argued that the government's doing the right thing providing so much one-bedroom accommodation because that's where the real need is these days. And larger families with their government government supports they get and rental assistance they get could actually afford to move into private rental in places like Tarnit, uh, which had the crowd screaming and yelling over lunch, by the way. But um, <laughs> but as for like just lunch. a bit of a thought on that as a possibility of you know these people being able to afford one anyway, but two moving them out to places like Tarnit. I don't want to slag off Tarnit. No, <laughs> <laughs> in all fairness to Tarnit, let's yeah, just yeah. Yeah, but I think there is a point there about people moving away from the areas that they know and this kind of bigger picture about gentrification of the inner city and who's allowed to live there. Yeah. And it seems that you've seen it in Waterloo and Redfern in Sydney as well. Like people don't want poor people living in the inner city, it seems. So that is a major problem, pushing people further and further out. And Bill Shorten's announcement was all yeah. around key workers not being able to um, get to the workforce, which I guess they mean in the CBD. So this whole idea of subsidising rent is mm. for people that actually have incomes, not people who are um, on any sort of new start or pension type payment, which obviously is unaffordable for any type of private rental anywhere, regardless of if you're a big family getting rent assistance. Mm. Mm. Howard, comment on that? Yeah, the one bedroom argument is um, it's it's quite ridiculous, really. The whole point is... It's not about ratios of one bedroom to more than one bedroom. There's a lack of supply for all bedrooms at the moment. Mm. So they need to be building, sure, more one bedrooms, but mm. not reducing the, the supply of over one bedrooms because we do have the families. We do have elderly people that still want to have, um, they need someone to stay over, whether it's uh, health care or whether it's a relative. Um, and the whole point is the public housing renewal program is about reducing um, the total number of tenants and the total number of beds in uh, those estates. It's not about increasing it. The government keeps misleading people by saying that they're going to build 10% more, but we know that the overall number of bedrooms is going to be less because they're going to be replacing the th- two and three bedroom uh, units with one bedrooms. Yeah. So you're, I'd like to know the, the name of your academic friend. We need to, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say it on air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, Howard, we've only got about a couple of minutes left, actually, for each of you, but um, just in a minute or two, can you just sum up perhaps what you're saying with the year, et cetera, and we'll finish up? Uh, yeah, Fiona, you go. Yeah, um, I mean, I think we've got a really exciting year coming up and we have to just remain really um, staunch and vigilant around this kind of redevelopment stuff and also the federal government is likely to be going to an election this year so it could be an opportunity to raise... I'm hoping there's going to be some more announcements around affordable housing. It seems that they're putting it front and centre. The actual policy detail is pretty pathetic but let's see what happens in the coming year and, and yeah, just remain watching, I guess. Mm. And I think there is actually, we've actually um, learned that there's a fair bit of disquiet within the ALP about the policy. Uh, we've had meetings with a couple of the branches uh, and we've had meetings with some of the uh, newer politicians. Um, and we've also heard rumours about, um, you know, dissent within Cabinet mm. over the policy. And uh, the whole thing is the campaign has actually been able to um, go past the mainstream media, which has kept the issue pretty much subdued and uh, we've been able to build up the level of uh, knowledge and understanding uh, in the wider community, particularly amongst the activists um, in all in all the political parties because we've, we've actually gone to all the political parties, whether they're Labor, Liberal, Greens, Socialists or even some of the smaller parties. Um, so as I say, uh, 
you know, like we managed to get a lot of other stuff done, like the Legislative Council inquiry, which was initiated by the Greens. Um, the um, We finally got one good article in The Age, um, plus there was election coverage, uh, which mentioned the Australian Greens policy on public housing, which was great. Um, uh, the ALP actually developed a new housing model, uh, which they tried to get through Ashburton, um, which was actually a bit more um, friendly towards first-home buyers um, than what they'd previously uh, uh, been proposing. Um, Defend and Extend had their regular monthly rallies and also had the vigil outside Parliament. Um, Joe Toscano ran as the only candidate for public housing. Um, there was a lot of leafleting done at various homeless conferences, um, and the ALP. Um, so, you know, there was a lot done and uh, a lot of people know about the issue now. So, as I say, long term, I think it's quite positive. What a terrible note to finish yeah. up on housing day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, keep, keep the pressure on. And, and, but look, yeah. Howard, thanks for your time all this year and we'll talk to you again next year, no doubt, because the issues are going to be around next year, no, no question of that. Yeah, but, we won't be taking a break. But no, have a good right. but thanks for, your, thanks for your time. And Fiona, thanks to the Housing with Age Action Group coming in every month. And, thank and you. Look forward and, to it next year. All right, and thank you. And thanks to all those people who have wished us well, by the way, because we got cards and what? Did we? You kept them all to yourself. Should have read a few out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've uh, been listening to City Limits, and this is no, our last show for the year. But particularly to, I want to particularly thank Terry Bosley, who sent us a few things this year, cuttings and stuff. So, uh, uh, thank you, Terry. Yeah, yeah, good comrade. <laughs> so much Christmas cheer yeah. in the air. <laughs> That's right. So we're finishing up. We're finishing on a positive note, but uh, I'm going to uh, put us out to a, a song by John Farnham. How do you guys feel about that? Let people know we're back on the first. Sorry, we're back on the first um, Wednesday in February, which I think is the 6th of February. I'm not sure of that, but whatever okay. it is. That's yep. our first program next year. So we'll see everyone then. One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. Two can be as bad as one. It's the loneliest.